We're going to move into our scripture passage, which is from Daniel 4. If you'd like to follow along, we'll read from Daniel 4, 1 through 6. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prosperous, prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Stephanie. Good morning. First of all, before we get to the sermon, I'm still new to Regen, and I'm tickled by the cool little things here. I have a really awesome cappuccino in my hand from the cafe next door that I just went and got. I mean, how, how cool is that? I'm really grateful for little things. Um, so this morning, we continue our series on this book of Daniel that I think is a really interesting um, one big story with these little stories in the middle of it. And this morning, we go through Daniel 4. Now, I preached two weeks ago on Daniel 2, and there was a, a dream, and there was an interpretation by Daniel. So if you heard that sermon and you walk in and you're like, this sounds the same, um, there's some similarities, but it's also going to be very different um, as well in our dream and interpretation this morning in Daniel chapter 4. And I want to start off by thinking about Nebuchadnezzar. So throughout these chapters, there's these two big, larger-than-life characters. There's Nebuchadnezzar, this king, and there's Daniel, um, this Israelite who's been taken in exile and is now living in the courts. Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, back and forth, chapter after chapter. Um, Nebuchadnezzar is in some ways a very unique individual because obviously he was the king of the most powerful empire of his day, of Babylon. So in, in some ways he's a very special, unique person, an incredibly powerful, historic figure, Nebuchadnezzar. But in some ways he's very similar to us. And even if you heard those first three verses Nebuchadnezzar seems to worship the Most High God and recognize this Most High God. Nebuchadnezzar has moments throughout these chapters where he has a glimpse of the Most High God. He, he, sees, three, he sees, sees three young men go into a fiery furnace and they don't burn up. And he says, wow, something is going on here. He, he has this boy, Daniel, interpret things for him. He says, wow, this young man, he can interpret things. There's a, there's a another God who's special. So he has these moments where he connects and he has reverence and humility towards this most high God. And then he has moments where he just forgets. And he thinks about other gods or other things. Or what he really does is he thinks about himself. His own pride, his own accomplishments, his own power, his own wealth. And he really gets stuck on himself. And I think in some ways us humans can identify with him. Having glimpses where we're like, yes, I, I remember and honor God, and then moments when we forget, and we just think about ourselves, and we kind of start going about daily life the way that we want to go about our daily life. But Nebuchadnezzar is a, a complicated, interesting person. Um, so I want to start off in verse 4, and verse 4 really gives a glimpse into the whole theme of the chapter of where Nebuchadnezzar's head is at. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. 
I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Nebuchadnezzar was living large, right? I mean, he was chilling in an amazing pad, however you want to say it. He had it going on. He had this palace, this house, and he is like, I, I'm going to tell everybody who's going to hear this later, I was just at ease in my house, and I was prospering in my palace. I was doing very well, so everyone can know. Um, I have a confession to make. I used to watch Cribs on MTV in my 20s, and, um, and I, I was fascinated by it. I'd never had cable until then. That was probably part of it. And in our 20s, like, we splurged for cable, and I had cable TV for the first time. And I would watch MTV, and I would watch Cribs. And there was something fascinating about rich, powerful, ridiculous people showing off their spaces. It's like a train wreck, and, and you know it's horrible, but you, you just want to see, like, what's in the other garage, right, of, like, of this, like, rapper? What's in his third garage? I want to know what's, what's in there. Um, and you're kind of drawn into it, like, what's really going on? Um, well, Nebuchadnezzar had, right, he had the palace of the whole earth at that day. And he just says, hey, I'm at ease, and I am prospering, and I am enjoying this, just so everybody knows. I'm, I'm going to take a nice walk on my, in my palace, and this is great. And then he has another dream in chapter 4. Second dream recorded in Daniel. And we're going to start off in verse 10. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions in my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. This phrase is repeated three times in this chapter. That the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, that's what he called Daniel, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So here's another dream. Okay, Daniel, I'm just going to skip all the drama of chapter 2. I'm going to go right to Daniel. Daniel, they can't do it. I know you have this, 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 this real God. Tell me what's going on here. And there's a tree in this dream. And a tree has been a symbol um, all the way from Genesis with a tree. I mean, through the ages, all the way to the, the city of Oakland's tree. This tree is this, this really cool, beautiful symbol, right? It's a symbol of something growing, of something that gets mighty and strong, and things can go under that tree and live under the tree and get nourishment from that tree. And then somehow in the dream, there's a tree, and then somehow it becomes um, a mighty animal. So Daniel comes in to interpret this dream, which might seem kind of simple if you've heard it before, but Daniel comes in to interpret it, and in verse 19, Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, 
was dismayed for a while. This, this is really interesting here. Something shifts. He was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. So something is evolving in Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And remember, Daniel's been taken to this place, made to be here, forced to have a new name. And he, he, knows, the, he knows this dream, and he comes to it, and he says he was dismayed for a while. If I was Daniel, I'd be like, yes, let me tell you this. Like, let me tell you what you're going to get. But Daniel has some sort of connect, some sort of compassion for the ruler of the empire of the world for some reason. And David is dismayed. And he basically says, I, don't, I, don't, I wish this wasn't for you, king. I don't even really want to tell you. For some reason, he has a, a grace or a compassion in his heart towards this man. There's a thread of grace that goes throughout this chapter. A thread of God's grace and compassion in the midst of evil and in the midst of horrible circumstances, horrible things happening, oppression happening. There's a, a, midst, there's a theme of grace that God offers to us in the middle of this. So Daniel's like, I don't even want to tell you, king. I feel bad about this. And the king says, hey, no, really, just tell me. It's okay. Everything's fine. Just, Daniel, just, just tell me the dream. So verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High. This phrase, the Most High, is used in Daniel so many times. It's a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know, here's the second time, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. And throughout the sermon, there's going to be some art pieces, because I think in this case, like looking and thinking um, about Babylon and thinking about what happens to Nebuchadnezzar can be helpful for us. But before we dive too deep into that, I'm going to read one more verse, which is really fascinating in how Daniel is talking to Nebuchadnezzar. So verse 27. So if you're, awa- if you're asleep, wake up right now. So if your neighbor's asleep, like tap your neighbor, say time to wake up. This is going to be kind of interesting, okay? Verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel goes from interpreting dreams to feeling bad for the king or having compassion for the king and now he jumps in and is going to give the king counsel. Like respectfully, I'm going to interpret this but king, let me respectfully give you some advice. Let me give you some counsel. And just maybe, he doesn't promise it, he says, just maybe, perhaps, if you listen to what I'm going to tell you, this most high God who I know just might prolong the good years for you. Just maybe. Just maybe this really crazy dream you had, just maybe we can hold this off if you will break off from your sins. And he tells him a couple things that are pretty specific. And what I find intriguing as I read this is he doesn't just say, king, stop being pompous, or king, just stop being arrogant, or king, just change your attitude, or king, just stop saying ridiculous things to yourself while you walk around your palace. 
but he actually says, break off your sins and do a couple very specific things. He says, practice righteousness. He says, practice righteousness, and he says, show mercy to the oppressed. Here's what you can do. You want to turn this ship around, king? I'm going to tell you really clearly, here's what the Most High God would honor. And I think just maybe the Most High God is going to give you a chance if you can break off your sins, practice righteousness, and show mercy to the oppressed. Very clear, action-oriented things he tells the king he needs to do. Now, as we get into these words, righteousness and oppression, they can fill up there. Like we know what they mean, but we can also be like, what does that really mean? Um, I have a definition of oppression. It's not perfect. It's a common English definition. Um, the exercise of authority or power in a burdensome, cruel, or unjust manner. An act or instance of oppressing or subjecting to cruel or unjust impos impositions or restraints. Oppression, to be oppressed. And Daniel says, hey, here's a chance. If you'll show mercy to the oppressed, things might change for you. And this is actually, um, this little interaction between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar echoes many interactions between prophets and kings in the Old Testament over and over again. And I could probably read for the next hour, like, really similar uh, conversations between prophets and kings in the Old Testament. But I'm going to read one of them from Jeremiah 22. Thus says the Lord, Go down to the house of King Judah and speak there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O King of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. This is said over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Prophets go to kings, and they say, here is the word of the Lord. Stop oppressing people. Stop allowing injustice. Start practicing righteousness, and God might come and forgive you. But if you don't, the armies are right out there, and it's going to be over very quickly. Over and over again, this comes up. So Nebuchadnezzar is very compassionately and gracefully given a warning. This, this we could push this off. And now Nebuchadnezzar has a choice to make. Now remember Nebuchadnezzar, this is a king over a huge empire. And just briefly, there's, there was a long battle. There were so many things we could say about Nebuchadnezzar. But there was one instance, he was involved in the battle against Jerusalem. And it was a historic battle, biblically, historically, against the city of Jerusalem. And it went on 18 months. And for 18 months, the Babylonian army came against Jerusalem um, and it well, lasted so long that people inside Jerusalem started to starve to death. There was no more water or food. And you can read about it in Lamentations, the book in the Bible. There's, there's images of this time period, reflections of that, of, of children and babies who have no more water and their tongues are sticking to the roof of their mouth, of, of children dying. And you can read actually much more graphic depictions in Lamentations of what it looks like for people to suffer at the hands of an empire. 
And then, of course, he took all these people. He left some in Jerusalem, and he took many others and said, you will now come with me, and I will give you new names, and I will give you a new culture, and you will live life the way I want you to live. But now Nebuchadnezzar has a choice. Okay, the, the, the Most High God's talking to you, Nebuchadnezzar. Here's your choice. Um, and if we follow in verse 29, there's a 12-month time period between that previous verse and verse 29. So a year goes by, and we don't know what happened in a year. And there's actually some writings and some history that, and some stories that may be factual that perhaps Nebuchadnezzar actually tried to show mercy to the oppressed. Perhaps he went out the next day and said, okay, what can I do in my kingdom to change things? Maybe I can repent and follow this God. Okay, what, what if I try this or, or try, and then on, you know, the third day or the fourth day or the third week, he said, oh, this is really hard. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to change my whole kingdom, how it operates. So at some point in these 12 months, they go on and on, and then verse 29. At the end of 12 months, and I want to point out that there's an echo from verse 29 to verse 4, okay? At the end of 12 months, what was he doing? Well, he's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. He just can't get it. Twelve months go by in the story. And what's he doing? He's strolling on his palace. And it's actually really strange um, because you have, this, you have the, the, the finishing of the first part of the story of Daniel telling him what's up. And then twelve months. And then it says he's answering. It's almost as if he's answering this question to himself. Or to God or to someone, he's answering and he's saying, isn't this Babylon that I made? Didn't I make this with my might and my power? Didn't I do this? Like he's talking himself, yeah, no, I don't need to listen to that. Like, look, at, look at what I did. I mean, look at this sentence. Like, look at that sentence again. Which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. I mean, if we all sat here and broke into groups of three and tried to make the most pompous, poetic statement we could make against God, I don't know if we could come up with something better than he says right here. He doesn't get it. He doesn't change, or he can't change, or he tries to change and it's too hard. But whatever it is, he doesn't change anything in the kingdom. He's got too much pride. And this pride is in direct opposition to this phrase that comes up in 17, 25, 32. Until you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. God warns him, stop oppressing people. Show mercy. Practice righteousness. Because while he's up on his palace wall, there are people all throughout his empire suffering. There are people who are poor. There are people who are dying. There are people all around, just like today, people all around us who are suffering. And he's taking a stroll on the top of the palace, talking to himself about his greatness. So check this out. He says this statement, which is so pompous and prideful. And then verse 31, check this out. While the words were still in the king's mouth, the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. 
and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. So there's, a, there's an art piece we have. We have a couple. There's an art piece. And why don't you just, just reflect on that for a minute. This king, so pompous, so powerful, doing so much evil. And then there's this. This is a famous piece by William Blake. That's Nebuchadnezzar. After God warned him over and over, and Daniel warned him and told him what God wanted. This is what Nebuchadnezzar ends up like. Eating grass like an ox. But the story doesn't end there. And there is this, even if I don't even like it, sometimes I'm reading the story and I'm like, I, I just want it to end there, you know, like in my own, my own flesh. But the story goes that God keeps giving him opportunities. It doesn't end here. Um, so 34 to 37. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works. Here's these ideas again. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I'm going to ask two, two reflection questions now and then have a couple more minutes of the message. I think these two ideas are connected. The first reflection question, where am I in the battle between pride and humility? Even though none of us rule an empire, we are tempted by pride. Tempted to be impressed by our own accomplishments that we think we did by ourselves. So where am I today in the battle between pride and humility? And the second question, how can I be on the side of righteousness and mercy towards the oppressed? How can I be on the right side of history, as some say? How can I be on God's side of justice, of mercy, of righteousness? Because this was about 2,600 years ago, and some things changed, but some things remain the same, Right? There are still abuses of power throughout our world. There are leaders who are drunk on their own power throughout the world. There are people who are suffering and have burdens that are too much throughout our world. Leaders are prideful throughout our world. There is a lack of righteousness. Things being done with goodness, with righteousness, with justice. And in our world, there are people who are treated unfairly, unhumanely. 
for all kinds of reasons. In that time, it was if you weren't, you know, in the Babylonian Empire and one of, in the court. But today, due to nationality, ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic background, there are all kinds of reasons why people are put burdens. Burdens are put on people that are not fair, that are not right, that are not just. And when I think about oppression and what it is, I'm often um, thinking about how we forget about things. Like we just go on with life and oppression happens, but we just kind of keep going and we, we, we accept it at some point as just a part of reality in our world. Um, and I was thinking about moments when I've really wrestled with oppression is talking to my children at different stages of development. I remember walking around with, with now my oldest when she was little, driving around San Francisco, the mission district, and I'll never forget this. She could, she could like really barely talk, and we're having some of our first real conversations with a child, and her saying, wait, Dad, you said some of the buildings are empty and no one lives in them. Yeah. Well, then why are there people sleeping on the street too? Because I see people and they have nowhere to live, but then you told me there's people, there's other places that are empty. Like, that doesn't make sense, Dad, right? Like, that, that can't be, that can't be right, Dad. Like, right? A five-year-old says, well, that doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. But a 40-year-old can say, well, that's because, you know, there's economic forces and there's just, that's just the way, just the way it is, daughter, right? That's just, like, I can tell you that, right, the middle-class answer, it's just, you know, that's just the way it, you know, it works. Like, don't worry about it. But a five-year-old looks around, right, and says, but no, but those are empty and there's people who have nowhere to live, right? Uh, a, a, an eight-year-old says, wait a minute, Dad, I'm studying history and it says some people get treated differently. And wait, Dad, I've actually seen in my school that some people get treated differently based on how they look. Like, why does that still happen? I thought, thing, I thought things were better today, Dad. Why, why does this, Dad, why does that school like that and this school is like this? Because I visited my friend at this school and I've been to that school and they're totally different. Like, why does that exist? Like, children can see, like, well, people are still treated differently? Yeah. Yeah, they are. And, and we can just kind of rush over it and explain it away, but a child can see, wow, there are things in our midst that are horrible. And there are things in our midst that if we actually stop and look at them, I mean, they'll make us weep or they'll make us do something about them. And so this morning, yeah, none of us have the power of Nebuchadnezzar. None of us can snap our fingers and say, now the kingdom is like this. Like, I wish I could say, now America is like this, but I can't. But it's also false that we don't have any power. Everybody in this room has power. We have some amount of power or privilege, resources, influence in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our schools, in our jobs. We have influence. We have power to use. So as we see things that are not righteousness, as we see things that are not justice, as we see things that are oppression, what do we do? I mean, do we, do we hear this passage and go home, or do we hear this passage and say, okay, what can I do? What can I do about this in this world, in this city? What can I do? And I would hope that we would not be like Nebuchadnezzar, but that we would humble ourselves and actually do something when God tells us. So the big idea this morning is actually from Micah 6, 8, because I was thinking of a sermon title, which I'm horrible at writing, and Micah 6, 8 sums up what's happening in Daniel 4. Do justice, love mercy, 
and walk humbly with your God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, and then we'll enter a time of uh, worship and communion. Dear God, I thank you for your grace, and even finding your grace in unexpected places in Daniel chapter 4, that your love and your opportunities, your chances are so many. God, this morning I ask that as we hear this passage, as we hear this story and of what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, God, let us just not walk home and forget. Let us not wake up 12 months later and hear another sermon and say, oh yeah, I was going to change something. God, let us even during these worship songs wrestle with what you are calling us to do, with what steps we can take um, of action in our world, God. And God, thank you that even as we stumble towards you and as we wrestle with pride, as we wrestle with not doing things we should, that you are a God of grace who keeps giving us chances to turn towards you over and over. Um, In Jesus' name, amen.